Welcome to the Defense and Aerospace Reports Weekly Cyber Report, sponsored by Fortress Information Security. I'm your host, Vago Maradian. Later in the program, what the new joint connector developed by Mandian and Artelist for Microsoft Sentinel means. But first, joining us is our good friend, retired United States Navy Rear Admiral Mark Montgomery, the Senior Director of the Center on Cyber and Technology Innovation at the Foundation for the Defense of Democracies. He is also the director of the Bipartisan Cyber Solarium 2.0 Commission. Uh, that is the successor to the highly successful uh, Cyberspace Solarium Commission that so fundamentally improved uh, America's cybersecurity. Mark, always an honor and pleasure having you on the program. Thanks so very much for joining us. I thank you very much, Vago. Good to be here. Uh, an absolute pleasure, and I should also thank you doubly because you uh, and retired United States uh, uh, Marine Corps Lieutenant General Chip Gregson, uh, who was formerly the Assistant uh, Secretary of Defense uh, for uh, Asia uh, Security Policy, will be joining us tomorrow uh, as well for a special episode that we're uh, devoting uh, to the Taiwan Policy Act, a very important piece of legislation that gets marked up uh, next week. Uh, and of course, uh, Dr. Patrick Cronin of the Hudson Institute will take a bite at that apple as well uh, on our Washington Roundtable uh, on Friday. Uh, before we get started, our daily podcast is sponsored by Bell. Leonardo DRS sponsors our global coverage. Northrop Grumman sponsors our Northrop Grumman supports our cyber coverage overall, and General Atomics Aeronautical Systems uh, sponsors our coverage of strategy. Uh, Mark, it's been more than six months since Russia invaded uh, Ukraine. We've had some cyber activity from Moscow uh, directed at nations supporting Kiev. Folks have been running shields up uh, for nearly a year. People are getting tired. Uh, it appears that we are deterring and that some of our capabilities and the capabilities of our allies are, are blunting some Russian activities, um, collecting Russian malware from uh, networks worldwide, for example, which was a major win. But there is also a sense, uh, as you said, you know, as we were preparing for this, that the, the Russian cyber dog has not yet fully barked, right? Where, where are we? What are your expectations? And at what point do the Russians sort of more overtly start targeting the United States and its allies and doing so in a more public manner? Well, Vago, the, the exact date probably remains unknown, but what I would stipulate is they absolutely have the capacity to do this. We should not mistake the challenge Russia is having in Ukraine at a tactical level in disabling Ukrainian uh, networks and infrastructure. We shouldn't mistake that with the fact that they can absolutely do significant damage to U.S. and, uh, and European uh, infrastructure, critical infrastructure networks. Look, we've had a series of reports from the Department of Homeland Security from 2018 on where we have acknowledged that we have found significant amounts of Russian government, you know, Russian installed malware in important critical infrastructures such as energy, nuclear power, uh, water, aviation, and critical manufacturing. And if we need to be reminded about how good the Russians can be, the SVR, their intelligence uh, unit, did a uh, absolute tap dance on us uh, in the solar winds. They broke into, they penetrated our software supply chain and got into thousands of U.S. companies and, you know, dozens of U.S. Uh, federal agencies, including reading the email of senior officials. They are a skilled uh, cyber espionage uh, opponent, and they can do significant damage. I suspect Putin is holding back this tool for when significant energy um, sanctions are in place against him. Uh, currently, he's not losing any money on his sales of oil and natural gas when he looks at it holistically. 
there have been a decline in sales, but an increase in price. But as, as Europe begins to prepare to actually impose significant oil and natural gas um, sanctions and limitations on Russia, and Russia really feels the pinch in, in the kind of near-term you know, uh, capital returns or ex, you know, on, on their exports, that's when I think you'll see Putin lash out, probably first at Western Europe, but potentially eventually at the United States as the leader of the, uh, of the pack on this. So we should not in any way, shape or form, you know, back off of whether it's shields up from CISA or the internal improvements and um, cybersecurity that are required in our critical infrastructure companies. What, what more do we need to be doing uh, to prepare for that, right? I mean, it's one thing to say she holds up. Um, I think there's been a lot of um, under-the-radar screen activity. Everybody's been very busy and very focused on this, as you know. Um, what more is it that we need to be doing to prepare uh, for this, or are we on the right track, do you think? Yeah, so that's interesting because I, I say shields up and I support the shields up initiative, but shields up needs an asterisk that says, if you haven't taken this stuff seriously for the last two to three years, there's not much you can do. And so hopefully since February and, and March, when these advisories came out, the companies at the lower end of readiness in cybersecurity, um, the ones who didn't have a rheostat yet where they could increase the uh, security and you know, decrease the kind of access and, and efficiency, uh, those companies that were not prepared for this type of event have taken the last six months to get themselves ready and are taking the next six months because that's how long we could be having the same discussion four or five months from now easily. It's, you know, if I were to guess when this really goes south, it's probably in the winter or early spring. Um, and my, so my point on this is there's still investments that companies can do in making sure that they have the proper anomalous activity detection software, that, they, that they're investing in the training of their people, that they have the, you know, you basically have the, the technology right, you have to buy the right stuff. You have to have the policy and processes right. You have to have good business cyber hygiene. And then you have to have your people well-trained. And that's both the people in your IT fields, but also your general workforce, you know, for personal cyber hygiene. If you continue to make investments in those three, um, Russia may attack somebody, but it probably won't be you. Uh, obviously, the attacker uh, the attacker does have an advantage here in a, in a Russia context. But then again, we do have a little bit of time. Uh, everybody has time uh, to do a better job in terms of uh, defense. And we have some very good intelligence capabilities uh, on, on what the Russians might uh, really be up to. Chris Inglis is the first uh, national cyber director, uh, and he and his team have been very, very busy. Uh, he's got a chief of staff now, which is also uh, great. Uh, what should he be doing, or more rightly, Mark, what should the administration be doing to address the cyber, um, the federal cyber workforce challenge, specifically the grave shortfall in cyber capability across the, favor, uh, the federal workforce, right? That there's no magic wand solution to this problem. Yeah, for sure. The federal cyber workforce, it took us about 23 years to dig the hole we're in. It's going to take us a few years to dig our way out. But the absolute first thing that was necessary was strategic leadership from the White House. Uh, the creation of the National Cyber Director offered that. Uh, Chris Inglis has grabbed that baton and stepped uh, stepped into the breach. So I think that uh, this will begin to get addressed. What he has to do first is make sure that he's getting good data, which means you know working with Congress to extend the um, uh, Cybersecurity Workforce Assessment Act, which is about to expire. It's what provides the data, you know, requires government agencies to provide cybersecurity workforce data. It's not great data, but probably the one thing worse than not great data is no data. So he needs to be getting the right data, analyzing the problem. 
then he needs to provide strong direction to OPM, the Office of Personnel Management, on making sure that we recruit, um, develop, and retain the right workforce. And the recruiting is getting more money into the scholarship for service program. That's the ROTC-like program that hires that could hire up to about half of our federal workforce, the part that needs you know undergraduate graduate degrees. Then work with OPM to make sure that we're applying the right uh, hiring mechanisms for the people who don't need bachelor's degrees, who need associate's degrees or certain certificates, making sure that when they're filling a critical niche in the in the government cybersecurity effort, they're not being brought on as a GS-8 and told to figure out how to survive in, uh, in Washington, D.C. on you know, $48,000 a year. And um, we just won't compete well with the private sector at that very low end. So he has to work with OPM to do those. He probably has to figure out how to do a, a mid-career development institute in the government where we help people transition from entry level to mid-level with the right certifications and the, and the uh, requisite government expertise. Uh, in the absence of that, there's a lot of poaching going on between federal agencies and between federal agencies in the private sector. We really need to develop our own. And then finally, retaining people is about having the right compensation. You know, DOD's figured this out and they have a cyber accepted work through Congress. They have a cyber accepted service and they use that where necessary to put the appropriate pay bands in the non DOD portion of the government, the .gov needs that same kind of cyber accepted service. He'll have to work with Congress on that as well. So that's a, that's a pretty fulsome plan to recruit, develop and retain the federal cybersecurity workforce we need. And, and then layered on top of that is he's got to break this paradigm where only 21% of our federal cybersecurity workforce is female. It's the biggest diversity issue we have in the federal cybersecurity work in the federal workforce. Uh, and it's a significant uh, drop below the percentage of women in the federal workforce is to get down to the 20% that's the federal cybersecurity workforce. I think he can attack that issue while he's attacking the recruit, develop and retain issue. Uh, and he uh, joined us before he went into the post when he was uh, teaching at the Naval Academy uh, to talk to us about the importance of diversity, as especially as he was deputy director at the uh, National Security Agency. And we did talk a little bit about that because NSA was working a whole series of uh, diversity programs. We've got to go into a little bit of a lightning round because there is more I want to talk to than, than time we uh, have. And it would be unbecoming of me to raise cyber questions tomorrow for a Taiwan discussion. Um, quickly, uh, the uh, cybersecurity uh, and infrastructure security agency is working on a joint cyber defense uh, collaborative to improve uh, cooperation and collaboration with industry. Where are we on that initiative and what are the next steps uh, that Jen Easterly and her team uh, have to be making there, which I suspect she's going to be talking at, at Billington, uh, at the Billington uh, Cybersecurity Summit over the next couple of days. So the JCDC, is, is, uh, as it's referred to, is, is I think a very good step by CISA. I think uh, Director Easterly has stepped out aggressively on that, which she needed to do, she took the, the groundings in the Joint Cyber Planning Office passed by Congress, took the funding from that, the mission from that, put it into this defense collaborative. Now she's added in a bunch of other responsibilities on data transfer, anal shared analytical capabilities, things like that. She needs, Congress needs to help her with more authorities, uh, and particularly more authorizations that allow for uh, appropriation spending to thicken out the JCDC. And, and the, the the vehicle for that is Jim, Representative Jim Langevin's. Um, it used to be called the Joint Collaborative Environment, but uh, it's in the House NDAA. And I hope we can get that over the finish line in the final NDAA because this year. Because if we can, then you'll have you know really the vehicle to appropriate properly for JCDC that's more in the 
you know, uh, you know, more, more like a hundred million dollars a year, not the 25 to 30 million dollars a year that came from the joint cyber planning office. So she's doing great work on this. Congress needs to support, and then she'll have to carry it across the finish line. Um, let me uh, ask you about the National Defense Authorization Act. Uh, it is a sausage that is going through the process, even though we might end up with a continuing resolution before we get there. Um, give us an update on what we should expect uh, cyber-wise, and then I'll have a breakout question for you uh, on a Navy cyber question where apparently the House and the United States Navy disagree. Uh, you know, First, walk us through sort of more broadly where you think we're going to end up House and Senate side on the NDAA cyber-wise. So, yeah, and I think the continuing resolution will probably be due to not getting an appropriations done as well. So, you know, if the authorization were to hit like, you know, breakneck speed, I, I don't I think we're still in a CR world. Um, I, I think the NDA will take some, uh, you know, will take uh, the months of September and October. So I don't think it'll be done before the election cycle. Um, and let's uh, absent a really dramatic move by Senator Schumer. Um I do think that both bills, they really have great for cyber, great blocking and tackling in them, but you need both of them. There's great stuff in the, um, in the House bill. I mentioned the joint cyber environment. There's other stuff on systemically important critical infrastructure and a, and a lot of DOD uh, um, blocking and tackling. Small changes that is why DOD is so strong, because it does this iterative work every year with the Congress to improve the law. The Senate side has the same stuff. Lots of smaller programs for each of the services, cyber efforts, and then an assistant secretary of defense for cyber, which is critical because John Plum, who's the current assistant secretary, has nuclear weapons, ballistic missile defense, weapons of mass destruction, space and cyber. I mean, you might as well ask him to find the fountain of youth while he's at it. Right. I mean, that's way too much for one assistant secretary. Uh, breaking out cyber is appropriate, particularly since we failed to create a cyber force and instead created a space force. We need to give it the singular DOD oversight that the mission set deserves. So an assistant secretary for cyber is in the Senate version. I hope it makes it through. It's the right thing to do. I love that uh, fountain of youth part of it. Speaking of fountain of youth, let's talk a little bit about Navy cyber. Uh, you were in the middle of this, so we should say that you're not a dispassionate observer. Uh, talk to us about the disconnect between the House and the Navy, uh, because you think, uh, and so do people, uh, leadership in the House, that the cyber community should be what's called an unrestricted line of war fighting uh, as surface warfare, aviation uh, and uh, submarine warfare, for example, are as opposed to being a support function. What Walk us through the nature of the disagreement, where the Navy is, where the House is and where they should be and why. So um, the, the House has uh, put in their version of NDAA some direction to the Navy to create both the officer and enlisted communities for computer network operators, right? In other words, have distinct designator for the officers and uh, align the existing um, enlisted designator, which is a crypto a CTN uh, designator underneath those, um, the, uh, the operator officer uh, designator. And uh, I think it's gonna happen. I think that house was probably a little aggressive in its timeline, you know, six months, you don't create Navy designators fulsomely and, and the training track and all the kind of things that go with it in six months. So, They'll probably ask for a, an extension. And if I were uh, back being a professional staff member, I would accept it and and give them, you know, whether 18, uh, 24 months to get this in place. This is critical. We need the Navy needs to look like the other services in this regard. We need to have unique computer network operators. We need to develop uh, officers who spend 
you know, two, 50% to two thirds of their career at cyber command in the, in the mission forces, um, like the other services, not going back and forth to cryptological duty to maintain a, a completely distinct skill set. That's not necessary. Uh, at the time when we created the community, it probably was a good move for the first couple of years, but the Navy should have been doing this transition on its own. I, I suspect they were thinking of things already. The House has stepped in and said, enough, let's do it. And, and an element of this is that several NDAs ago, they, the, the Navy was given the opportunity to turn information warfare, elements of information warfare into unrestricted line from restricted line. Um, I, the one element that I know needs to be unrestricted line are the uh, computer network operators that they are effectively trigger pullers. They can destroy uh, things and uh, kill people with their tools, uh, much more likely to destroy than kill. But still, uh, that to me is the, is the hallmark of an unrestricted line community to be kind of a trigger puller like that, like the submariners, surface warfare officers, aviator seals, um, you know, that we are already unrestricted line community and special operators are unrestricted uh, line communities. So I, I think this is going to end up in the right place. Probably there needs to be some adjustments to count for how long it takes a large bureaucracy to do things. And it will start out as a small community. But like the other services, it will grow. And uh, this, by being on a restricted line, will make it easier to tap into the Naval Academy's great programs and some of the programs we have at ROTC units, you know, at the, you know, Carnegie Mellon or other uh, universities where you can really get some, some hotshot computer network operators. Uh, Mark, thanks very much for joining us. Always a pleasure having you on. I look forward to having you back on again tomorrow for the Taiwan Policy Act discussion. Thanks so much. Thank you, Vago. And word from our sponsors, Ultra Intelligence and Communications, sponsors our command and control coverage, and we are a proud Farnborough International Airshow media partner, and our coverage of Britain's leading airshow was sponsored by Farnborough International and Leonardo DRS. And joining us now is Michael Specka, who is the president uh, of Ardlist, an innovative uh, cyber company that last week disclosed its partnership with Mandiant uh, on the joint connector for Microsoft Sentinel, and we're going to get into that in a second. But Michael, thank you so very much for joining us. It's been too long. Uh, great to have you back on the program. Yeah, thanks for having me, Vago. It has been too long. I appreciate it. For the uncyber initiated who probably heard that and have absolutely no idea what it means, uh, what is uh, the uh, what does the delivery of the joint connector for Microsoft Sentinel mean? Sure. Um, so Microsoft Sentinel is a tool uh, that collects information uh, when you're monitoring your own uh, environment. So obviously you need to be out there looking for evidence of uh, you know, bad actors uh, operating inside your environment. As, and as we move more and more towards zero trust, which I know has been discussed on your program before, uh, you know, that environment gets increasingly complicated. Mandiant uh, has you know, all kinds of very interesting products, but as part of their separation from FireEye that, that happened last year, they've really been able to focus on bringing the quality threat intelligence that they generate uh, into various um, product lines. And so that's um, really the value of this connector is that Mandiant has, you know, in addition to sort of typical signals intelligence, Mandiant has a human intelligence network as well that collects all kinds of information about what, uh, you know, bad actors are trying to do, malicious, malicious actors are trying to do. And it's important that you can spot those patterns. And so Mandiant bundles up the information that you would need to spot patterns that indicate bad behavior and integrates that information with Sentinel 
So your security analysts can more easily spot uh, indications that you might be under attack. Uh, and, and this is the kind of partnership, I think, that, you know, the coopetition that happens uh, right in the cyberspace. I mean, this is almost like a perfect um, a de demonstration of how small companies, uh, large companies, then also are working with titans like Microsoft in, in the entire cyber ecosystem, right? Yeah, well, um, you know, Microsoft's uh, uh, for a very long time been very, very good about uh, building uh, partnerships and building channels. Uh, and so we're part of Microsoft's uh, um, gold partnership. We're gold security partners. Microsoft makes the, you know, the availability and what you need to do to qualify to be one of those partners uh, very clear. Uh, so that's a no brainer for us to engage with. Um, and we've had the good fortune of working with Mandiant on a number of different initiatives over the years. Uh, as I think we've talked about before, Vago, where, you know, we, we do quite a bit of work with the federal government. <clears throat> and uh, this is just a great opportunity for us to expand that relationship and work with them to help bring this uh, connector to market. Um, let me ask you about the evolution of the threat, right? I mean, you guys are very engaged in it and Mandiant, uh, obviously that's one of their specialty areas and the entire ecosystem has sort of been manning the rails uh, for lack of a better word, uh, especially in the wake of Russia's uh, war on Ukraine and, and a lot of the events that we've seen over the past couple of years. How do you guys, you know, how is, how is the evolution of the threat shaping the work that you're doing on the joint connector? Um, well, yeah, that's a great question. I think you know, it, it sort of as always, um, but, you know, uh, getting faster is more, you know, more sophisticated techniques available to more actors. So, you know, when it comes to what the threat is, obviously, you know, there's sort of the big nation state activity like you're uh, alluding to with the, the Russia-Ukraine conflict. Um, there's also, you know, organized crime that sells uh, information that other people can use and sells tools that other people can use uh, to try to compromise networks for whatever reason they might do that, including you know, ransomware, which has been a, a growing problem for a long time. So, you know, at the end of the day, there's there's always been this sort of escalation race between the blue side, right? The folks who are defending uh, organizations and the red, the attackers. <laughs> and a tool like this, you know, allows you to take that phenomenal threat intelligence that Mandiant has and integrated into a, you know, a tool, this Microsoft Sentinel, a tool that is uh, getting you know, deployed to more and more and more organizations. So it's just another, you know, another way to up the capabilities that your organization has. Again, it wading through the sea of information that you collect about what's going on on your own network and in your own environments to spot indicators of uh, malicious activity. Uh, and we regularly on this program uh, talk to innovative companies that are trying to grow. Uh, you're an innovative company that's uh, been growing. Um, and, and how do partnerships like this, you know, you mentioned Microsoft, uh, you guys were a gold Microsoft partner. Um, how vital are uh, these sorts of, uh, of, of, of partnerships? And is it actually possible to even succeed in this industry without those kind of partnerships ultimately? Yeah, I, well, I think I think it is um, possible, uh, depending on you know what it is that your organizational objectives are. We're, we've got a pretty um, bold set of goals uh, as a as an organization, which is just you know to to 
kind of raise the stakes for it, for anyone and everyone, which is why we work with organizations as large as the Department of Defense and uh, as small as, you know, five, 10 person companies, um, many of which are, are serving larger customers. Um, and so these kinds of partnerships are pretty critical because there's a lot of capability out there in the cyberspace. A lot of the capability that's been developed was developed either for uh, military application or by, you know, very, uh, let's just say, comparatively wealthy institutions like financial services, banks, et cetera, who were, you know, sort of the original juicy targets for an attacker. But as attackers uh, share more information, sell more information about how to compromise networks, as ransomware continues to be a problem, you know, smaller and smaller businesses uh, are challenged to compete in this arena, in the cyber arena, and they, of course, don't have the same sorts of resources. So, you know, one of the things that that we uh, are focused on in our relationship with Microsoft and in our relationship with Mandy and is understanding what the state of the art is, and then how do we get as much of that as we can in the hands of uh, smaller businesses. And we, you know, we're starting that effort uh, as you and I have spoken about uh, around CMMC, the uh, Department of Defense standard for their supply chain and expecting that those sorts of standards will spread. When you're, you know, dealing with those sorts of standards, you know, issue number one is am I compliant? And then issue number two is, you know, am I effective? Can I be effective with the sort of budget that I have available? And so by working with larger companies, we can try to bring some of those capabilities into the hands of small businesses. And, and uh, we've got about 30 seconds left. Uh, give us an update on CMMC and where that stands or not, as the case may be. Well, uh, in 30 seconds or less, I'd say the big takeaway is that the noise seems to be going away. Uh, DOD has some dates out there for early next year that it looks like they're going to hit. And from what we can tell, more organizations are getting serious about implementing. So if you are, you know, one of those defense industrial base uh, companies and you need some help, look us up. And I would say, uh, if you've been waiting, I get it. And now's probably the time to stop waiting and get started. And, and do you think that we're going to end up in a better place, a different place, slower pace, right? I mean, a lot of debate and discussion about what, uh, you know, whether this delay has actually been, uh, you know, problematic or puts us in a better place. Yeah, look, it's a step forward, right? Um, this is a huge problem, right? Cybersecurity is a huge problem. Anything we can do as quickly as we can do it uh, is fantastic. Um, you know, there's all kinds of um, commentary about it. And we've tried to mostly just stay focused on, you know, is there going to be a requirement? And now that there is a pretty clear one, how do we help, you know, companies, especially the 80% of the defense industrial base that are smaller businesses get, uh, you know, get compliant and get into a better security space, knowing that there's, you know, there, there should be, and there will be an evolution beyond that. So the important thing is that we're moving forward. Michael, always a pleasure having you on the program. Thanks very much for joining us and best of luck uh, in, in the partnership. What, what's next in terms of deliverables, right? I mean, you delivered uh, this part of it, right? But I suspect that there's more stuff uh, to come. So is there uh, is there more to this schedule than hey, we just delivered it? To be clear, you know, we we assisted with the the uh, the conception and the delivery of this tool. Um, we'd love to see, um, but obviously can't speak for Mandy. And we'd love to see further 
uh, integration between Mandiant and Microsoft tools. Uh, you know, they've had some things come out prior to this that have been really helpful. Um, anytime you've got a system, right, the system can't tell you that it's secure because if it's compromised, you know, how would it know? So by combining, uh, you know, different sources of intelligence by providing, uh, combining different sources of technology, you know, we've got a better way to get, um, you know, get more accurate information about what's going on in the environment. So the, the more of this that can happen, the better. Michael, thanks very much. Uh, as I said, always a pleasure having you on the program and best of luck. Yeah, thank you.